Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our gospel lesson recorded for us in the Gospel of St. Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 44 through 53. To bring us back into this text, I'd like to read just a few verses for you once again, beginning at verse 50. He led them out as far as the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple courts, praising and blessing God. Amen. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, how would you have expected the disciples to respond to Jesus' ascension? I think, of course, we'd expect them to be amazed, to say, wow, as they watch Jesus go up into the skies. After all, who ascends into heaven? What man ever goes up into heaven in such a way? Even after the wonder of the miracle is gone, we'd maybe expect them to be filled with sorrow. Sorrow over the reality that Jesus is now gone. Maybe wondering what next, what are we going to do? It's interesting, in our lesson for today, we see a very different response. We see that, yes, they responded by worshiping and praising God, certainly praising Jesus for this incredible miracle. We also hear that they were filled with great joy. It's not sorrow, but joy, rejoicing at Jesus' ascension. We might wonder, how could this be? I've wondered if, if part of it could be what Jesus spoke to them right before he ascends in our lesson for today. As Jesus lays out for them the plan of salvation, as he shows that he himself has been fulfilling that plan, is going to continue to fill that plan into the future. With that in mind, they can rejoice. They can rejoice at Christ's ascension. Rejoice at Christ's ascension because he sticks to the plan. Do you like surprises? I know there's a lot of people that say they, they like surprises or they love surprises. Maybe we like a surprise of a, a special unexpected gift, but I wonder, do we really always like surprises? Maybe you can imagine a, a boyfriend who wants to please his girlfriend. She says, surprise me sometime, be romantic. And so he thinks to himself, okay, I'm going to do that. He tells her, I'm going to take you somewhere special. So she gets all dressed up, and he brings her to a canoe outing. She's frustrated. I'm not dressed for this. Why didn't you tell me what you were planning? Maybe that surprise didn't go over very well. You can maybe even imagine the next week the same young man decides, I'm going to do better this time. And so he decides he's going to bring her to the fanciest restaurant in town, but this time she's prepared for canoeing. Doesn't go well. Maybe we say we like surprises, but maybe not on all occasions and in every ways. We probably quite often like to know the plan, right? So too, we see in our lesson for today, the disciples rejoiced in knowing the plan, knowing that plan of salvation as Jesus reveals to them that plan of salvation that he's been carrying out. 
Now, it's interesting in our text, it says that their minds were opened. Maybe we could imagine their top of their skulls being pulled back and Jesus pouring in the information, but really what he's doing is he's sharing with them the, the truths of Scripture. He's really revealing to them God's plan of salvation that they themselves didn't fully understand or maybe had overlooked. You see, there are many Jewish people that looked to the Messiah as a great hero of Israel and thought perhaps he was going to come with great power and strength, but Jesus reveals to them the truth of God's plan of salvation. Perhaps he shared Isaiah 53. It was because of your rebellion that he was pierced. He was crushed for the guilt our sins deserved. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Perhaps he brought them to that scripture to show them that God's plan of salvation involved his suffering and death on a cross. Then also shared with them what God's word had said concerning the resurrection. Perhaps pointing them to Psalm 16 where David records, Even my flesh will dwell securely because you will not abandon my life to the grave. You will not let your favored ones see decay. It had been there all along, God's plan of salvation. For the disciples as they went through it, it maybe seemed like things were just spiraling out of control. Things were getting worse one thing after another as Jesus' passion was carried out. And perhaps then a roller coaster ride of emotions ensued as Jesus rose again to life from the dead. But Jesus points them back to the plan. It was there all along, the plan of salvation. I've been carrying it out. And because Jesus points them back to the plan, he also can point them forward to the future plan as well. And he does that in our lesson for today, too. He points them to God's future plan, his plan for his disciples. Those that had seen Jesus suffer and die and rise to life again from the dead, they now would be his witnesses. They would share what they had seen and heard with others. This, too, Jesus had foretold. In John 16, Jesus had said, I am telling you the truth. It is good for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He had told them, I'm going to go away. But that's a good thing because God the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to fill you with power to carry out the work of the church. I'd like to think that's a big part of the reason why the disciples could be filled with great joy at Jesus' ascension. That they had seen the plan, as Jesus had been carrying it out, the plan written down in God's word, the plan of salvation through suffering and death and his resurrection. They could be confident that he was going to continue to carry out the plan in the future. So they are filled with great joy. Now for us too today, we at times maybe can be like the disciples in the midst of Jesus' passion, as we look at the world around us filled with confusion, it seems like things are spiraling out of control, right? Maybe as we think about the struggles that we're having in our world today, especially with our economy and high gas prices and inflation, we can wonder what's going on as we see all the death and destruction. We see evil rulers rising up to overtake sovereign nations. We see innocent lives taken, especially as we consider the war in Ukraine. Or we can think about what took place just this last week, that tragedy down in Texas, 
as that shooter took the lives of 19 fourth grade students and two of their teachers. As we see all of that, we maybe ask the question, why God? How could you let this happen? Where are you? And maybe in the context of the ascension, well, Jesus, why did you have to ascend to heaven? We certainly could use your help now. Well, we do know why bad things happen in this world, why tragedy strikes. It's because this world is no longer the way it was when God made it. God made this world to be perfect in every way with no sorrow, suffering, or death at all. But mankind wrecked that by their sin. By their sin, they brought death and destruction, and we see it play out even in the first son of Adam and Eve, Cain. As he rises up to shed innocent blood, the innocent blood of his own brother. Yet we might wonder, God, we understand that this world is corrupted by sin, it's broken, but why don't you come then and get rid of all evil? If God was to do that, who would be left? As we certainly have in our own minds the evil people that God could get rid of, But does that really just include the mass murderers or the dictators? Does it really include only those that are destroying our way of life? And all evil people, doesn't that even include us, too? Yes, maybe we haven't killed anybody. Maybe we haven't committed genocide. We ourselves have harmed our neighbor. Maybe not physically. At times with our belittling and with our nagging and with our anger, we can embitter someone else's life. Maybe we haven't sought to steal another nation. Have we stolen from our neighbor? Also making their life difficult, also harming them? See, we can't just point the finger at those that, that have committed such, such grave deeds, but we see that the evil is inside of us too. God was to get rid of all evil in the world, wouldn't he have to get rid of us? God has allowed evil to remain in this world. You might wonder why. God tells us in his word in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this truth. God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He tells us plainly that he wants everyone Every one of us, every one of our neighbors, every one of our coworkers, every one of our classmates, everyone in society, even mass murderers, he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. He doesn't want any to die in their sin. And so he's allowed evil to remain for a time. He has allowed the evil, even in us, to remain for a time so that more might believe in their Savior Jesus be rescued from eternal judgment to be saved. But again, we might ask God, don't you care? God does care. And God does set limits to evil in this world. Think of the way in which he sets a curb or a limit on evil in this world by giving each and every one of us a natural knowledge of his law that curbs us from acting out in grave violence against our neighbor especially because we fear the consequences. 
God has given to us the gift of government. And the, the chief role of government is to keep evil at bay, to punish evildoers so that we can leave, live in peace. But even more, God says that he yet rules all things for our good. And we see that in connection with Jesus' ascension, especially in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, where it says this, God also placed all things under his feet, and that's Christ's feet. God also placed all things under his feet and made him head over everything for the church. One of the reasons for which Jesus ascended into heaven is to take up his role of authority at the right hand of God to rule all things for the good of his church. And we maybe say, well, God, I know what would be best for your church. It would be if everything was perfectly easy, if we were prosperous and we lived in peace at all times, that would be what is best. But would it really? Would it really be best for his church if everything was completely perfect? Or perhaps would we maybe feel that we really don't have need for God and his word? After all, we'd have everything already. Does God at times allow suffering and, and pain and struggle and hardship so that we see our need for him, but also to realize that this world is not all there is, to help us to look heavenward, to look forward to his return? And that, too, we see as part of Christ's ascension. You know, in our first lesson for today, as Luke records for us what happened there, as the disciples watched Jesus go up into heaven, it's interesting what he records concerning those men. As the disciples are standing there with their mouths wide open in amazement, watching Jesus go into heaven, they asked, why are you still standing here, looking up into heaven? Don't you know he's going to come back? Don't you know he's going to come back just as you saw him go? And it's true, that also was part of Jesus' plan. His plan was to go away, to rule all things for the good of his church, but he's going to come again. He has promised he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. And perhaps that thought terrifies us. As we know the evil that's in our own hearts and minds, as we can be terrified at Jesus coming to judge us. But again, that same Jesus comforts us in John 3, when he says, The one who believes in him is not condemned. A comfort we can find in God's word that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to get rid of all evil. He's coming back to make all things new, to destroy this pre present world, and to create a new heavens and a new earth for us to dwell. And we can be reassured that we shall not be condemned in the judgment because of him and because of what he has done for us, because he has made full satisfaction for us on the cross, because he has risen from the dead, because he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We can be confident that he's coming for us to bring us to be with him forever in glory in that wonderful place of heaven that's filled with no more sorrow, suffering, pain, and death. He beckons us now to look heavenward to know that he is completing his plan. Now, the disciples in our lesson for today could rejoice. They could rejoice at Jesus' ascension. Because they saw the plan that Jesus had fulfilled in the past, the plan of salvation even through suffering death and his resurrection. They were confident that he was carried out his plan in the future, 
that he would send the Holy Spirit who would help them to carry out the work of his church, to share the good news to all nations. And we too can rejoice in Jesus' ascension, knowing that he has not gone forever, but he rules all things for our good, and knowing that he is going to return one day to bring us out of this veil of tears, to be with him forever in heaven. Yes, let us rejoice at Christ's ascension. Rejoice that he sticks to the plan. Amen. I invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.